the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Nick D Podcast. I'm your host, Nick DeGilio. Thank you. Welcome. We are with Radio Misfits uh, Podcast Network. At ch- at check out radiomisfits.com for a ton of great podcasts, including a, a one that I also host called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. Uh, the last episode, by the way, of, uh, of my SNL podcast is fantastic. Uh, Brooks Whelan, who appeared for uh, one season on season 39 of SNL, an unbelievably lively, hilarious, revealing, terrific interview with Brooks Whelan about his time on SNL. If you're an SNL fan, one, you should subscribe to That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, my SNL podcast, right now. And two, you should go back and listen to all four episodes. But this last one with Brooks Whelan, phenomenal. You really got to check it out. It's episode 112 of the Nick D Podcast. Thank you for uh, joining me. Uh, coming up on the podcast, uh, Eric Childress and Steve Procopi, my movie critic buddies. They join me every other week to review all the new movies. We've got a bunch of movies we're going to be talking about. Esmeralda Leon, my partner in crime, is going to be joining me. we got a megaphone message. We've got uh, TV characters who have changed over the years. We're going to be doing more Kit Kat taste tests and some other things as well. And uh, you can be a part of the podcast anytime you want. Hey, you got a, uh, you got a business that you want to uh, advertise? We reach a lot of people. Sales at radiomisfits.com. Drop us a line. Say, hey, I want to advertise on the show. You want to be a part of the podcast in general? Our voicemail system is up 24-7. Anytime you want to leave a message, anytime, anywhere, anyplace, 773-417-6948. Anything you want to say, questions, comments, uh, you want a megaphone message? You want me to, to read? I will do that as well. You can drop me an email 24-7 as well, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Those are the ways to get a hold of us, to be a part of the show, to leave your megaphone message requests, and much, much more. So that's all coming up right here on episode um, 112 uh, of the podcast. Also coming up, and I want you to, 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 to get your tickets now. We want to pack the place. Uh, our next live Nick D podcast event is at Zany's in Rosemont on Tuesday, February 21st. Showtime at 7.30, doors at 6.30. Come on out, man. Every time we've done this now, this will be our third time. It's been an unbelievable blast. We have a great time. We eat some food. We talk. We hang out. We'll make you laugh. It'll be an unbelievably hilarious and very entertaining night. Uh, Amy Guth is going to be my co-host. Uh, Esmeralda, my normal co-host, is in Mexico that week. She's going to be on vacation, a well-earned vacation. So she'll be in a place that will be approximately 80 degrees warmer than it will be here. But Amy Guth, the lovely, the amazing, the talented, the very funny, the incredibly brilliant Amy Guth will be my co-host. So she will be there live. You get to see her. And our guest, our special guest is legendary stand-up comedian, 40 years in the business doing stand-up, the incredibly funny John DeCoss, who is also the musical director and contributor to the Steve Cochran Morning Show, of which I am also a member. 
uh, and contributor. I'm the film critic for that show. You can hear The Steve Cochran Show on WLS AM 890 every morning, 5.30 a.m. to 9 a.m., weekday mornings. You can hear me every other Friday. And John is there uh, frequently contributing, being very funny and being the musical director. He is an amazingly funny guy who's got an incredible history of stand-up comedy and writing and performing and TV and movies and all kinds of great stuff. And John is going to be, me and Amy, our special guest on stage. My dad is going to get up, 81-year-old dad is going to get up and tell some jokes to end the show. So you got to come. Please pack the place. We want a nice big crowd. We're going to be doing this once a month at Zany's in Rosemont, and we want you to come every single time. So Tuesday, February 21st, 7.30 showtime, 6.30 uh, is the doors open up. John DeCoste, Amy Guth, my dad telling jokes. Uh, we got swag to give away, Nick D podcast t-shirts and coffee mugs and dinners and all kinds of incredible prizes that we'll be giving away. Fun, interactive trivia, laugh your ass off, be a part of a live podcast recording that's going to go down in history forever, and you can be there live and it's going to be awesome. So get your tickets now, rosemont.zanies.com, rosemont.zanies.com. Look for the Nick D Podcast live event, Tuesday, February 21st. So you can call the box office, 847-813-0484, Tuesday, February 21st, Rosemont Zanies. So get there and uh, let's pack the place. Another thing that I would like you to do is to get out and vote um, because uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, inductees have been announced the, the nominees for the ballot. Now, they're not finalized yet, but these are the nominees. And this is a good buddy, Joe, who left this voicemail. Hey, Nick D. It's Joe from Chicago. want to make you aware that Warren Zevon is finally on the ballot for the Rock and Roll, Roll Hall of Fame. He is currently losing to Cindy Lauper as well as a few other artists. Uh, get the word out and have them vote for Warren. Uh, long time, he should be in, he should have been in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a long time ago. Just want to make you aware and your listeners aware of it. Uh, hopefully you uh, spread the word on Warren. Bye. So spread the word on Warren is right. You can go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame website and uh, the fans can vote. Make your voice heard. Warren Zevon should have not only been on the, this is his first time on the ballot. Now he should have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like 20 years ago. This guy should have been in the Rock of Fame. Uh, 20 years ago, not let alone just on the ballot, but this is the first time he's ever been a nominee on the ballot for the first time. And that's an absolute travesty. There are a lot of mistakes and idiot things that the, that the morons at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame have done over the years. I mean, look, Bon Jovi is in the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. That's the ultimate thing right there. Warren Zevon has never been on the ballot until today, but dumbass Bon Jovi is actually inducted into the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Meanwhile, a genius like Warren Zevon has never even been on the ballot. He's on the ballot. Vote for him. Go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right now, and let's get the groundswell support because Warren Zevon should not only be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they should have a goddamn wing dedicated to him. So he's finally on the ballot. He's not doing great. So that means you, me, all of the Nick D Podcast fans need to get on the website and to get online and support Warren Zevon and get his ass inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It is long, long, long over fucking due. So get in there now. Nick D Podcast fans, make your voice heard. Vote for Warren Zevon. He's on the ballot. He's the nominee. Get him in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is something that should have been done a long, long time ago. And the fact that this is the first time he's been on the ballot is a goddamn joke. He needs to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Get out there. Get voting. And you can do that right after you buy your tickets to our zany show <laughs> on February 21st, 
live at Zanies and Rosemont. Rosemont.zanies.com. Get your tickets there as well. So get to voting. You know who's going to vote for Warren Zevon? I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. She does. Hi, she I'm does. Carrie yes. Russell, and I love Nick's show. And she loves Warren Zevon, and she's going to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, right now and uh, vote for uh, Warren Zevon to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right. So there you go. See you at Zany's. Let's pack the place on Tuesday, the 21st of February. Be there. Pack it. Let's go and vote for Warren Zevon. Those are my requests. Actually, my demands from you. All right. Well, let's chill out, have some fun. Eric and Steve are joining me after I say congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jackoff. And that theme means it's time for the movie reviews. Every other week, I am happily joined by, uh, well, I'm happy about it. I don't know if they are, but I'm happily joined <laughs> by, uh, by Eric Childress and Steve Procopi, who have been my buddies for many, many years, members of the Chicago Film Critics Association, and so on and so forth. And they join me to review movies every couple of weeks. Eric, how are you? I'm doing just fine. Very cool. And Steve, how are you, buddy? Good. This, this is actually a constant source of misery for me, just so. Just That's in what case I you're wondering. That's what I figured. Yes. That's what I figured. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and the paycheck doesn't doesn't help either. I understand. Uh, so, um, Eric, tell tell everybody uh, where they can see you and read you and hear you and all that shit. Oh, at the Now Play Network, I have two different podcasts. One, uh, Movie Madness, where we talk about movies every week. Steve Procopi is a regular guest, and Peter Szybinski does uh, Blu-ray talk with me. And then I also have another podcast called The Friendship Dilemma that I co-host with Morgan Geyer. We just dropped our new episode on 1968's Planet of the Apes. And this <laughs> Sunday, we have a special bonus episode coming out that we did with Colin Suter and Carrie Finnegan over at Christmas Movies, actually, where we all talk about the 2005 film just friends why all right <laughs> plenty of reasons all plenty right. of reasons uh all right okay all right you have all to right. listen well, all right i'll listen okay uh, he never thoughts. said they had to be good he never right said okay be yeah, good true. movies about friendship yeah, true. okay <laughs> right. All right yeah because that's clearly not a good movie um all right well that's where you can hear and see eric and all that cool stuff steve tell everybody where they can hear and see you and all that uh, you can read my uh, reviews at thirdcoastreview.com. And then, yes, like Eric said, we're also doing the Movie Madness, movie madness podcast every week. Uh, and, uh, and I'm hanging out the music box a lot. So, and uh, you've, been hanging out yeah. there, you've been hanging out there every weekend uh, as, well, I have every Sunday uh, during, <laughs> during the Billy Wilder, um, uh, Nobody's Perfect Billy Wilder Matinee Festival, which has just been fucking mm-hmm. great. Great, great, great. And... So amazing to see the amount of people that are coming out for these movies. It's just, it's amazing. And uh, last Sunday, um, uh, you know, Sunset Boulevard is one of the greatest films ever made. And to see Mm -hmm. it 
with a theater. What, what, how many people were there on Sunday? There was, there was over 400 people, right, on Sunday? Oh, it was almost 600 people yeah, there on yeah. Sunday. So, yeah, it was, like, people, it, was like, it was like 580, yeah. Yeah, so 600 people in you know the most beautiful theater in the city, a magnificent theater with a lot of history, watching the greatest movie of all time. And I'm, I, don't know, you know, this is, I don't know if this is weird or not, but that last sequence where uh, you know, Gloria Swanson is walking down the stairs, I just started crying because I was in this yeah. movie theater uh, experiencing this incredible piece of cinema with a bunch of people who were all floored by it. It was, it's, that's what going to the movies is about. And, uh, yeah. and I was with a really good friend who I've known, I've known for many, many years. And we were both afterwards just like, Jesus, that was amazing. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if your crowd had a similar, cause I, I sat through it Saturday morning and that line that she has in that scene, something about people in the dark. And, yeah. and you suddenly realize she's talking directly to the Absolutely. audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's like an audible gasp in the no. theater when she no. says that. Like, and it's just, unbelievable. It's, it's, it is truly, <laughs> without, you know, without, I mean, I, hyperbole comes out of my mouth a lot, but that truly, Sunset Boulevard is one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah. And, and, uh, and a portrait of Hollywood unlike no other. And to yeah. see it in that environment with a crowd that big, with a print that fucking amazing, yeah. uh, it was incredible. It was incredible, as has every week. And this weekend is my favorite Billy Wilder movie of all time, <laughs> of all time, which I think says a lot about me. Um, but Ace yep. in the Hole, uh, Ace in the Hole, which I think is just one of the greatest movies ever made, and my favorite Kirk Douglas performance, and my favorite Billy Wilder movie. Uh, and this has been an unbelievable, uh, huge success for you guys at the Music Box. This Billy Wilder thing. I mean, from from the get go, right from that first that New Year's Eve. New Year's Day shows of the apartment. It's yeah. just been, we're getting more. We're really pretty, with matinees, we're kind of happy if like 200 people show up. And that's like, I don't think we've had any less than 250 for one of these. And and um, and, and a lot in the last couple of weeks and certainly the next couple of weeks um, yeah. leading up to like Some Like It Hot, it's good. It's just, it's not well, going to drop off that much. Well, I, Ace in the I, Hole might drop off a Ace, little. But. Ace in the, I don't expect, I don't expect, you know, the kind of glorious, happy, cr although Sunset Boulevard has a fucking depressing ending. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's most of his movies do. And the movie is narrated by a dead guy. God bless yeah. Billy Wilder. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, but anyway, you know, like, I, I, you know, the ending of, of Ace in the Hole, if people have not seen it, because I know that, you know, because you do the intros, by the way, for these, and you mm -hmm. do a great job. Great job intro Thanks. introducing them. Um, Thanks. But I love that when you ask people how many people have not seen it, I turned around and I looked, because I usually sit near the front when I go. Mm -hmm. um, and I turned around and I looked, and I was astonished to see how many hands went up who had never seen yeah. Sunset Boulevard. And I was like, wow. And then you said the right <laughs> thing, was like, you know, the people who have seen this, imagine being them. Like, I was like, wow, that's so cool. You've never seen this movie. And not only have you never seen this movie, but you get to see it like this, which <laughs> yeah. is just unbelievable. Um, but yeah. yeah, I don't expect that. I mean, Ace in the Hole, the people who put their hands up when it's over, I don't expect those people to have the same sort of <laughs> like, like glowing happiness about them when they walk. Because yeah. I remember the first time I saw Ace in the Hole, I saw it uh, when a TMC was doing like a, a Billy Wilder fest like for like five days and this was in the 80s and I had watched a whole bunch of them and it was called the big carnival when I saw it because mm -hmm. you know when Ace and the Hole first came out it bombed because well I mean it's not a happy movie it's a fucking dark really fucked up movie where you're you know the lead actor is not only a prick for the entire two hours but he dies <laughs> at the very end the final shot of the movie mm -hmm. is dead 
And when people saw and when people saw it, it bombed. And so they thought they'd re-release it. The company would re-release it and change the name to the Big Carnival. You know what I mean? Like it was fun. <laughs> like that just, would help. Yeah. And they didn't <laughs> change they didn't change a frame of the movie. They didn't recut it. Yeah. They were just like, let's call it the Big Carnival. And then people who came to see the Big Carnival walked out and went, What the fuck was that? So <laughs> so it did. But I saw it under the title The Big Carnival, and I actually didn't hmm. realize it was called Ace in the Hole until like a couple of months later when I was like doing a little research and I'm like, well, Ace in the Hole is an even more fucked up cynical title. That's an, that's an, that's an evil title. <laughs> it's an evil title, man. It's fantastic. <laughs> and it so fits the movie. But anyway, yeah. uh, I'm excited. And, and they, cha- they, changed, they changed the name to the Big Carnival without clearing it with Wilder, too. I know. So I, I know. Did it. You don't want to piss oh, off Billy Wilder, man. Yeah. That's the last guy you want to piss you're, off. You're stealing my intro. So, yeah. yeah well, um, well uh, yeah. Well, you got to my intro. Just, yeah, well, that's something that you have to talk. I mean, I, I actually yeah, hosted, yeah. A, I hosted a screening of it a few years ago at my film club and I talked about that and all that and all that cool mm-hmm. stuff and it's just one of the greatest movies ever but now because it's been so popular you guys were talking at the, the management and everybody was talking about it and you have an announcement to make that you're going to make this weekend but you're exclusively making it here that's and true this is the first time I've said this out loud I'll say it this weekend it. Bef- but I, I've been talking in the intros occasionally referencing the fact that it's been so successful and that if people want more they should write in to the various management types in the box office and say that they want more. Well, we're going to have more uh, of these Wilder films. Now, I don't know when, probably in the fall, but even that, you don't hold me to that. Uh, I don't know which titles yet, although I have put forth my list already. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of have an idea of where we're, where we're leaning because um, Rebecca, our projectionist and the person that kind of goes and gathers these prints uh, has already sort of let us know what's available. And then, so, so, and I don't know how many weeks I can't even promise they're all going to be at 35, although the most of them will be, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm still, I'm still committed to showing at least one or two that he just wrote, but didn't direct. So it's still a lot up in the air, but we yeah. are definitely doing, it's just, I mean, how could you have this many people show up and not look yeah. to do it again? So, and, and it's going to, and I thought we'd have to wait till next year, but we're actually, that's great. They're talking about doing it later this year. That's so, fantastic, yeah. man. So, so the yeah. Billy Wilder, the Billy Wilder matinees are going to resurface at some point before the end of the year with a, yeah. a bunch of, a bunch of other titles. And it's not like you have a lack of great shit to choose from Steve. Oh, you know, know what I mean? It's because this guy's responsible for some of the best movies ever made. So yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I I put forth my suggestion. It's not going to happen, but I put forth buddy buddy. But I don't see that happening at any time soon. So for once, Nick, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's that, that's between me and Peter. Peter and I are like we're like anytime like when you first mentioned it to us months ago. I remember we were I was at a, we were at a screening and Peter was sitting next to me and you said, right. "Yeah, we're doing a Billy Wilder fest," and I'm like, "Yeah," and then Peter and I both almost at the same time went, "You showing Buddy Buddy?" <laughs> now what? See what I what I kind of want to do is put a, set aside the Lennon Mathal stuff as a separate. Yeah, series because yeah. And not just the wilder thing, but it, I could find I could I could find an excuse to play it there maybe. But yeah, yeah, no, um, no. But there's but, but there's anyway, a bunch yes. more. There's a, there there are so yeah. many more. That, that's, so but many. Anyway, so uh, and it's it's really encouraging to see so many people come out. It's been yeah. it's been it's been the highlight of my weekend for five weeks now, Steve. I'm telling you right <laughs> now, and I'm not I'm not kidding. Um, and uh, and I can't wait. I mean, my favorite is this weekend, and then some like it hot is following that, and then we got one, two, three, and you've got uh, uh, the private the pri- life of Sherlock uh, Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, yeah. which is so British and so Christopher fucking Lee. I'm all over <laughs> that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's great stuff, and and the fact that you guys are going to do round two and uh, later in the year is fantastic. So so yeah, for those who don't hear it here, they're, I'm going to make the and, and I'll make the announcement this weekend and next weekend because I think next weekend is when. 
everyone's gonna turn be. out yeah. Yeah, and yeah. for sure and then yeah me yeah. me and me and the asshole dark-hearted cynics will be in the audience this weekend <laughs> uh so, so there you go yeah all right well uh talking about billy wilder why don't we start re- reviewing movies and i'm gonna go to the complete opposite direction of that <laughs> Uh, the first movie to re- to be reviewed this week, uh, Eric has not seen it, and Steve, you have not seen it, and and I understand why why you guys have not seen it, and and I and I and I want to thank you for not seeing it because it was screened, <laughs> uh, no, not just because it's a terrible movie, but it was screened the same night as my last live show at Zany's, and you guys chose to come see my show instead of seeing this movie. So mm-hmm. I appreciate I appreciate yeah. that. By the way, I will say this. Uh, I was so excited. I'm sure you guys got the, got the invite just a few minutes ago as we taped this. Oh, uh, yeah. I was very concerned. <laughs> I was very, very concerned because my next uh, Zany's Live event that I hope you guys can come to um, is on Tuesday, February 21st at Zany's in Rosemont. And I was so fucking concerned that they were going to screen Cocaine Bear that night. I was really upset but they're doing it the night. They're doing it the night after. So I get to do my zany show and see Carrie Russell. Oh wait a minute. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I get to see Cocaine Bear. It's a good week. So I'm. Happy I thought I told you. I, I've known actually known about this for a couple of weeks. So I thought I told you that already. No, no. So, I got the I anyway. got the invite. I got the invite an hour ago, and I was like ecstatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually sent a note to Jill and went, "Thank you for <laughs> for not for screening this," because I'm actually in contact with Jill to try and get carrie on the show like we're, we're mm-hmm. working really hard just because hi yeah. i'm carrie russell and i love nick's show so we're trying to get her on the show but anyway uh but you guys did not see this movie that i'm about to review because you were at my show which nope. is what which and i thank you for that um but it's called <laughs> 80 for brady now um are you guys planning on seeing this movie or are you just not gonna go i'm seeing it tomorrow a couple hours yeah. you're gonna see it okay all yeah, right. in a couple hours. All right. Well, uh, okay. Well, here's here's what I'll say. Let me get this out of the way. It's a it's it's a terrible movie. Let me just get that out of the way now. Okay. <laughs> um, and it is uh, it is a love letter. It's produced by Tom Brady. He has a production. He has a, produ- a, a, a producer credit on it. Um, <laughs> and it is an absolute complete love letter to Tom Brady that seemingly was written by Tom Brady, although it was <laughs> written by the two women who uh, inexplicably also wrote Booksmart. I don't know how I don't know how, how this happened, but um, inexplicably, these two women who wrote a really terrific movie called Booksmart from a few years ago wrote this, and it is a complete blowjob to Tom Brady, um, and it is not only when it's not uh, tipping its hat to Tom Brady, it is also like a, 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 a very long commercial for the NFL and the Super Bowl, which is why it's being released this weekend, uh, you know, before the week before the big game. Uh, and a big commercial for the NFL experience that you can have while you're at the Super Bowl. It's that blatant. It's that fucking blatant. It is, it is literally like an hour and 45-minute commercial for Tom Brady and the NFL. Um, uh, and also, it is l- very, very loosely based on a true story. And I say that because the film is about four women in their 80s um, who discover that they like football one afternoon when they can't, they, they don't know how to operate the, uh, they're old because they don't know how to operate the remote. So they can't change the channel, and they see Tom Brady as a rookie, his first time coming out onto the field, and they fall in love with him. And then every Sunday they would meet and watch the Patriot games or you know uh, whatever team he would eventually be on, and they became Tom Brady fanatics. So the movie takes place in 2017, and it's based on a true story about these old, old ladies. Uh, and in real life, there were five of them. In the movie, there are only four. In the real life, there were five of them. And in real life, they never went to the Super Bowl. 
Um, one of them uh, in the movie uh, is diagnosed with what might be terminal cancer, and this might be her last hurrah. That's not that didn't happen in real life. So they did not go to the Super Bowl, let alone break into the control booth and take the defensive coordinator's uh, headgear and speak to Tom Brady directly. That also did not happen. But that happens in the movie. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, <laughs> they also did not uh, have uh, they did not sneak in because Billy Porter got them in uh, and they could uh, pretend to be dancers. So they have to do a dance number that didn't happen. Um, uh, also, one of the women uh, did not enter a hot sauce, hot wings eating contest with Guy Fieri. That also didn't happen, but it happens in the movie. Uh, so. <laughs> Steve, how about we don't go see this movie? No, no, no. You know what? You know what? You know why I'm going to see it, Eric? Because, and I'll tell you, Nick, the one reason I'm going to go see it is because Diane Keaton's not in it. Oh, I, okay. I swear to God, Steve, I was I was thinking that earlier. I'm like, yeah. thank God Diane Keaton is not in this movie. Right. And it, and what makes me sad is that I love Diane Keaton, but I understand exactly what you're saying. Yes. Because I sat through Mac and Rita, which was the worst movie from last year. Um, and I understand what you're saying because the four women in this movie are national treasures. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yes. So yes, yes. And Diane Keaton, and of course she would fit right in because she is a national treasure who, who has lately been making a lot of shit. And well. the, and the thing about the thing about about you're not a fan of Diane Keaton, Eric. Well, go back the last 20 years on her resume and talk uh, to me. Okay, all right. I would. I would a, argue. It's I, a lot of movies. Yeah, it's a lot of movies. I know, and some of them are really good. And she's still. I think she's still. I still. I, I think she is on the same level as the four women that are in this movie. I think she is. Okay. Um. Okay. So same anyway, age. but but um. <laughs> they no in talent. I'm telling you right now in talent. So I, you know, uh, I, I I think Diane Keaton is just as good a, an actress as any of the four women in this movie. Any at one them. time, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, and at one time, a lot of these women were much better than they are now. You know, what I mean, who 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 is consistent? But it's also just one movie. No, I know that, but I'm talking about somebody like Jane Fonda, who's made a lot of shit lately. Have you seen the show that she does with Lily Tomlin? Have you watched that? On uh, yeah, I, no. I, oh, we we tried during the pandemic. That's what I'm take. saying. Okay, so yeah. that's that counts. You know what I mean? If we're doing the <laughs> okay. Diane Keaton thing, that counts for Lily Tomlin and for and for uh, and for Jane Fonda. Uh, okay. Sally Field has certainly done a, a, a you know a, a, a lot of shit, and she comes off the yes. best, by the way, in this movie. She comes off the best. And Rita Moreno, you can't say anything about her because I'll punch you because she rules the planet. <laughs> but anyway, um, but <laughs> I've loved her since the Electric Company back when I was a kid. So anyway, uh, it's loosely based on this story, uh, very very loosely. And then what essentially happens is because it takes place in 2017, and if you're a football fan or even if you're just someone who casually watches. You remember the 2017 uh, Super Bowl 51 because that is the legendary biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. Yeah. Uh, because Tom Brady led the Patriots to beat the Falcons. They were down 28-3 in the first half, and they came back to what was the most dramatic and the biggest Super Bowl comeback ever, first time a Super Bowl ever went to overtime, and they came back and won. And it was like the biggest thing ever. So basically, Tom Brady produced this movie in order for the last 40 minutes to be a recreation with actual clips of that comeback. That's uh. essentially what this movie is. It is, uh, for the first like 45 minutes, it's old ladies having fun at the NFL experience at the Super Bowl weekend. And then the last 40 minutes is a recreation and a recount with real footage of the biggest comeback in NFL history, all while talking about how great Tom Brady is and while four national treasure older actresses are embarrassing themselves on screen. That's essentially what this movie is. Now, having said that, there are moments in the movie that can't help but be kind of funny and charming because the four women in it are amazing. 
and they're awesome. And uh, the material is shit. It's far beneath them. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're uh, eating edibles, uh, there's a moment in the movie where uh, a few of the ladies have some marijuana-tinged gummies. And so they start tripping because, you know, that's what happens when you eat an edible. Uh, you start <laughs> tripping. And everybody has Guy Fieri's face at one point. There's a room of 20 guys, people with Guy Fieri's face <laughs> in it. Uh, and so despite the fact that all this shit happens, there are moments in the movie that are charming and kind of funny because, you know, uh, it's because of the four ladies that are in it. But it's a, it is a remarkable commercial for the NFL and a love letter written by Tom Brady for Tom Brady uh, that is that takes the story of these real life women and completely alters it <laughs> to make it like they actually broke into the defensive coordinator's booth. And the reason why there was a comeback is because Lily Tomlin told Tom Brady a very inspiring story, and that's why they won the Super Bowl. So that's what. The, I'm not kidding. Okay. I'm not kidding. Okay. That's, that's yeah. So that's kind of funny. Yeah. So that's eighty for Brady. Uh, hey, the yeah. audience I saw it with, they were mostly older and they enjoyed it. So I don't know what the hell to tell you, man. Uh, so it, it, enjoy yourself later on tonight. That's all I'm saying. All right. <laughs> all right, Steve. Uh, let's please let's uh, do a little. Uh, palate cleansing here with infinity pool if that's what you want to if you can call that palate cleansing (laughs) somebody's getting cleansed um okay so so this is the story of uh of james and m foster uh played by alexander skarsgård and cleopatra coleman uh they take off to an all-inclusive beach getaway and then a fictional country or state or something it's actually shot in croatia and hungary but they they basically want to jumpstart James's writer's block, and he he put out one book before, ill received, but he thinks he's got something else in him, um, and it turns out he does have something in him. But it and uh, it, it all comes out when they meet another couple uh, named Gabby and Albin, played by Mia Goth and Jaleel Lesper. Um and yes, he and he does have something in him, and Mia Goth gets it out of him in one scene. So, uh, but anyway, so so they 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 meet this other couple. And uh, apparently uh, Mia Goth's character is a fan of his writing, or she says she is. Um, and this kind of endears her to, to Alexander Skarsgård immediately. Uh, and they, these two couples start spending time together. And um, they end up uh, sort of, I guess they rent a, rent a Jeep and they drive out to a part of the island where they're not really supposed to be. And on the way back, uh, Alexander Skarsgård is driving and he hits somebody and kills them. Um, hey, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, of, what, what was yeah, the name of the movie where Ray Fiennes did that with drunk-ass Jessica Chastain? Yeah, what was that The called? Forsaken. The Forsaken. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't think of the name no, of the no, movie. No, no, I know. <laughs> Believe me, I, I was thinking of that, too. Oh, okay, um, okay. Anyway, anyway, so so, um, so they just basically hit and run the situation, but, of course, the law catches up to them, and we find out that in this country, um, the law says that you, if you kill somebody, you get killed and you have to get killed by a relative of the person that you killed. But there's a there's a loophole, because apparently this this is when we first find out this is science fiction, um, that you can have basically a clone made of you and have the clone killed for a price, of course, a very steep price. It's a scam. Um, but they but it saves the like James's life. He doesn't have to die, but his clone dies. Um and the clone has the same exact memories as he does up to the point where he's cloned. So he's not like the whole thing is you don't really know if it's a clone or not. You kind of hope it is. But anyway, so the the couples take, the, you know, they, they kind of go through this process. He gets out of being executed. And uh, but he's sort of intrigued 
by the whole situation. It turns out that uh, that Gabby and Alvin have been through this before. They know about it, and they actually are friends with a, like a little cult of of rich people um, that do this all the time and do like just act out in hedonistic and sometimes murderous ways uh, because they know they can buy their way out of the situation. They won't, they can actually start to enjoy watching their clones get killed. Um, this film comes from Brandon Cronenberg, who has done two very great films called Antiviral and Possessor, which I, I think Possessor is a masterpiece, but um, this certainly has the sort of uh, crushing violence and surreal horror things that have, sort of punctuated his other work. And um, I, I I certainly, at, at some point, Cleopatra Coleman's character gets spooked and runs away and leaving James to just basically be at the, the plaything of these these other rich people. And yes, this it does sort of fall into that category that we had a lot of last year of rich people being dicks and um, and us wanting to see them die. <laughs> Both for the, or or just be punished in some way. So, um, I I actually think this is like probably the least of of Cronenberg of this Cronenberg's three films. Um, which is not to say I didn't like it. There's certainly parts about it I like. Mia Goth is, I mean, expectedly great in this. There's a scene where she just tears apart uh, James while she's like on the roof of on the hood of a car just screaming at him. And I was just like, I'm just like, okay, I don't ever want to meet her because I will be scared of her if I ever meet her. Um, it, it's, it is sort of a dark satire of the privileged few, I guess. Um, it, it's, it's kind of depraved or at least it thinks it is uh, to a certain degree, but I, I don't know. I, I wasn't, I wasn't as, at least in terms of the message, I wasn't as impacted as I have been by a few other films that have, have tackled this, uh, the same scenario. Uh, so like triangle of sadness or the menu or things like that. So um, it's not terrible. It's not bad, but I, like I said, I think it's the lesser of his three works. Uh, visually, there's some really funky stuff going on here. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Uh, there's like a, 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 I think again, like a fictional drug that they take that just sends them into this like other place that the visuals that accompany that are pretty cool. Um but yeah, I, it's yeah. I, to me, it's a, a lesser of his works, but not bad. Not right. still not bad, but yeah. Eric, what do you think of Infinity Pool? Well, I agree with Steve that I think it is the lesser of the three Brandon Cronenberg films. Although I'm a little bit lesser than where Steve is on it. Um, I think that the the setup, you know, Brandon Cronenberg, uh, unlike another filmmaker we're going to be talking about shortly, you know, is someone who you know has some really interesting ideas about the human condition and uh and what we do and the and the paces that we put ourselves through through for pleasure and you know the, the pain we're willing to withstand and things like that and to see him focus that uh again on the rich i mean this is a, again a kind of a common theme with his three movies uh that the rich are able to experience these certain pleasures that uh the common folk quite aren't and this is them really really taken uh taken it to extremes and i think that the, the first part of the first hour of the movie where they're just just recloning themselves just to just to experience it over and over again and just not to have a care in the world that they have so much money that they can just get away with anything i think that message is on point when the film just becomes them torturing alexander skarsgård I became less interested. Uh, I, I didn't think that, that that part of the section of the movie had much to offer. Um, I mean, I love Mia, Mia Goth at the moment, but I'm worried, especially after this movie, that she's going to be 
put in a box a lit that everyone is going to be. I mean, I know she's doing the stuff with with Ty West right now, but that she's going to be put in that box where she just plays psycho, crazy, loud girl uh, for a, a considerable part of her career. I hope that she finds something to get away from that type of role, uh, even though she is definitely the most compelling part of the, the section that I wasn't crazy about. Uh, yeah, so ultimately, it's, it's kind of a, a near miss for me. I think there's some interesting ideas in it, uh, but it just kind of wears out its welcome, and it just kind of goes on way too long for me. Okay, I loved it. I thought it was great. And, uh, and I'm a fan of all three of his movies. And I do, I, I like this one more than his first film, but not as much as Possessor. Um, uh, and, uh, and yeah, I guess I'm with you, Eric, on, on Mia Goth. But, um, uh, you know, I don't think she's necessarily loud and crazy in all the other movies that she's in. She's crazy. <laughs> but she's yeah. very loud and crazy in this one. Um, and I, I guess, you know, her being pigeonholed into that thing is, you know, that's a, that, I guess that's a concern. But I think she's, she's way too good to be worried about that. I think she's much better than that. I think Alexander Skarsgård is great in this movie. I think it is important that we mention that the three of us saw the uncut version of this movie. Um, yeah. that, and someone is very popular right now with their phone. Um, <laughs> but uh, we saw the, the what would be rated NC-17. And there are moments in it that are not. I've not seen. I know Steve. You guys are running the R-rated version at the Music Box. Have you seen the R-rated mm-hmm. version? No, 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 no. Okay. And Eric, have you seen the R-rated version? I have not. Okay, so uh, I don't know what's different about it. I think it's just a few frames have been cut here, and one sequence I think has been cut completely. Uh, but it is important that, in, and I think a lot of the violence goes on a little bit further than what will be accepted in an R-rated movie. So that part might have maybe affected how some people might feel about watching the film because there are jolting moments in it uh, that might not exist now in the version that everybody else is going to see. So we saw the un- uncut version of it. I just wanted to make sure that we made that sp- specific because there might be things that we've been talking about. Um, like you said, Steve, in your, in your summation that she gets yeah. something out of him, out of Alexander Scott. That scene's not going to be in the R-rated movie. It's not. So it's weird that that's the version they made sure all the critics saw, but that's not the version they're playing in. The exactly. Theaters. It doesn't. I mean, it's weird because I, I immediately and I texted you immediately, Eric. And I'm like, did this movie get an R? You know? Yeah. And because yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, there's no way this movie got an R. But anyway, um, I thought thematically it was really interesting. And yeah. And I like the fact that the rich have been getting ripped apart for the last year and a half or so. I like that. Um, and of sure. uh, if I if I had to put it on a scale, um, I would put the two white lotuses and then this. I would put it above the menu. I would put it above Triangle of, of Sadness, and I would certainly put it above fucking Glass Onion by a mile. So I think on the ranking of let's rip apart uh, the rich people who are assholes at a, you know, at a resort, this one ranks up pretty high. Uh, and, and again, I love what this guy does, and the apple has not fallen very far from the tree. Although uh, you know, the son, Brandon, does things. He concentrates on different themes than his father does. Um, he's clearly influenced. He is clearly his father's son. There's no question about no, it. Oh, yeah. And yet, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the stuff that he is concentrating on is something that maybe Cronin David would not do. Um, I admire his work. I think it's creepy. I think it's really funny. I think it's a very funny movie, even at its grossest and most intense. I think it's very funny. And I think it's a great piece of satire. And uh, it, is, it, 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 it's, it, is, it is a movie worthy of the last name Cronenberg. So I loved it. I thought it was great. And again, not seeing the R-rated version, I will. I will definitely see it. So I don't know how much of a difference the uncut version to the R-rated version matters. But as far as the uncut version goes, I think it's great. So I, I loved uh, Infinity Pool. So, okay. okay. All right. Uh, all right, Eric. Let's again, now we're going to complete opposite direction. 
from a filmmaker whose last name people recognize uh, <laughs> to his latest, <laughs> Knock at the Cabin. Uh, Eric, this is the latest from M. Night Shyamalan. Yes, it is. Uh, and uh, the film, uh, as the film begins, uh, we meet a same-sex same couple played by Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge, uh, who have taken their uh, adopted daughter, Wen, uh, played by uh, Kristen Cooey, uh, to just a remote cabin in the woods, a little vacation, uh, which is soon to be interrupted by four people who insist on coming into their cabin for a conversation. Uh, needs to say they're strangers. They don't want them in, but uh, they, they do their, their damnedest to try to keep them out, but they all manage to force themselves in. Uh, the four people are led by a man named Leonard, played by Dave Batista. The other three members are played by Nikki and Mickey Bird, Abby Quinn, and Rupert Grint. And they have a message for this, uh, this family that the apocalypse is nigh. And the only way to stop it is for one of these three members of this family to sacrifice someone in their own family uh, to prevent the apocalypse. Uh, and every time that they refuse to do so, uh, a plague is set upon all of the houses of the world. Uh, I don't know how much more of a plot we need to go into. There's obviously spoilers abound, uh, I suppose, uh, with the story. Uh, so let's just dig in from right there. Um, this film uh, is based on a book uh, by Paul Tremblay called The Cabin at the End of the World. And when I first heard uh, what this premise was going to be about and the Chiamalan was was doing it, uh, I went out to buy the book because I was very curious to see how he was going to fuck it up. Uh, and it's no, I make no bones of the fact that I have said for years and years that M. Night Shyamalan has never made a good movie. Yep. Uh, I stand by that. Uh, thank you for agreeing with me. Uh, well, I, at the I, same I, time, I have I have a, I have a caveat with uh, with Split because McAvoy's awesome in it, and that's the that's the understand. Yeah, right. That's uh, it. Understand. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but but I, as I said, and as I said even to Steve at the screening the other night, uh, every you know every time I go into one of these movies, I'm hoping because a lot of the premises are very interesting and very intriguing, and I'm like maybe this is going to be the one. That really that sets itself apart and is going to be the one that I finally have to give in and recommend. And by the end of this movie, I leaned right over to Steve and I said, "Nope." Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've I've read this book, and Shyamalan and his two co-screenwriters uh, indeed fucked it up. Which is not to say that the book itself is some great masterpiece, uh, but it's a very but it's a very interesting premise that takes its way, you know, through through all of its ideas and whatnot uh, and does build and build and build in suspense, which is something that Shyamalan is seemingly incapable of. And other people might want to argue with the other ones that they've liked in this, but this movie watching it was, is sort of like a masterclass in how to de-escalate suspense. Uh, one of the ways he does it is by oh, the, 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 the book does a little bit of this too, is introduce these flashback scenes to get you to know the, this family a little bit more, where they came from, the prejudices that they faced, when how they adopted the young girl, uh, and a big sort of hate crime that's in their past, which is also something that's uh, very much in the book. Uh, but he does this at very key moments in the film, just as the film starts to be rising to a, a fever pitch of whatever uh, section it's heading towards. He, he cuts away to a flashback. Uh, there's another big, like the first big violent moment in this 
R-rated. This is the second R-rated film from M. Night Shyamalan. Remember the first? The Happening. Yeah, yeah, they (laughs) advertised the hell out of that. The first R-rated film from M. Night Shyamalan, as if that was a sticking point. But this is the second. And the first big violent beat in this movie is then de-escalated by dipshit Shyamalan putting himself in a cameo on the television as some guy selling, hocking some hot chicken maker or something. You want to talk about a way to just take you right out of the moment and introduce comedy, but but I also, you're, you're stroking your own ego to put yourself right in the center of this thing. I, I was just like, what are you doing, man? Like, what are you doing? Uh, but beyond that, the, the film doesn't have any momentum. Even with the interruptions, it doesn't have a grasp of what is going to make this story so terrible. This This story should be emotionally brutal. From the from the get go, and I'm telling you, there's there's things in the book that happen. Uh, one very big moment, in fact, that I, I I can't I'm I'm not surprised they took it out of the movie, but it completely changes the entire point of what the the story is supposed to be about. And leading the story with these two same sex uh, uh yeah husbands with each other, uh, and leading them up to a finality. Uh, and take and like taken away. I mean, there's a whole section of the movie where they're like, "Well, we didn't know you were a same-sex couple. Believe me, we're not homophobic. We're just doing what God is telling us to do, or what we think is God." And going back and forth with, are these people just a crazy cult? Are they really experiencing visions? What is really going on? Shyamalan fumbles all of that. That could have been done in a much more interesting way. The the way that it's handled on television, none of that makes sense from either perspective frankly. Uh, And then it's leading up to this sort of really horrific message that these people, whatever they represent, are forcing a gay couple to save the world. And that someone, one of them is going to have to be sacrificed uh, in order so all of the mostly straight people in the world survive. Uh, By the end of this movie, I was just kind of dumbfounded by what they thought they were doing with this story. And the fact that it plays the sort of have your cake and eat it too type ending uh, is completely uh, counter to the book and what makes the book so interesting. So yeah, this is another major miss from M. Night Shyamalan. All right, Steve, what did you think? You know, the the crazy thing is like, there are so many elements in this story that should work. And like, I realize a, a story like this doesn't have to have a deeper meaning, but I think Shyamalan makes it pretty clear that there, there's supposed to be one, even if he can't quite, land on it clearly enough to make whatever point it is he's trying to make. But I think Batista's presence kind of holds the film afloat most of the time. His He's physically, like, he feels like he should be threatening just looking at him, but nothing about his performance lets us think that he is. And there's, like, a tension there that makes Leonard the most interesting character in this thing. And, I, and honestly, like, I think all the performances are pretty strong. It's the fucking screenplay that's letting them down and us down like at every turn and, and Eric's right like the the flashbacks and I get why they're there I get what the point they're trying to make about they're trying to show us the love in this family and what they've been through and why one of these husbands might not be so eager to sacrifice someone in this family for the greater good because he says at one point they don't care about us they don't care like the world doesn't care about us and he's pissed and, you know, but and, and like there are also like these biblical implications that are basically ignored 
despite the fact that there's four people that show up at this cabin are like stand-ins for the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Like, I get that. That's not very hard to figure out. Well, I mean, um, he, and he explains it, you know, at one point they actually Eventually he does, but he doesn't have to, yes. <laughs> oh, no, of course he doesn't have to, because he's a terrible filmmaker. Of course he doesn't have to, but yeah. go ahead. So, so like, the, the, the idea of this having limited, like, the single location thriller is great, and it's very claustrophobic, and then, yeah, like we said, the flashbacks cut that kind of right out of us, out from under us, and even the like, I wanted to feel trapped in that cabin. I wanted to feel trapped on that property. And, like, without spoiling anything, it's Rick really... This is like a movie that just ends. It doesn't conclude. It doesn't wrap up. It just fizzles to an end until the bubbles are out of it. And it's just... It has, the result is it's just, like, so clunky. And it's the only thing about it that is even slightly elevated is the acting. But aside from that, I cannot... Get behind this one, yeah. Uh, I'm Eric. I'm with you on on Shyamalan. I think he's terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. And and uh, everybody who backs the Sixth Sense and they back Signs and they back the Village or whatever and and the Visit, they all all those movies suck. The only movie that he's ever made that I don't actively hate is Split, and that's only because of James McAvoy. That's the only reason is because McAvoy's great in it. And then what does he do? He screws up that movie with a stupid ending that ties it to another one of his dumbass movies. And then he screws up all the great shit that McAvoy did in Split by making glass. You know what I mean? Like, all the great work that McAvoy did in Split is now like, nah, it's part of this other unbreakable universe. You've completely wasted a really good performance on shitty material. Um, he's terrible. M. Night Shyamalan is terrible. He's a terrible writer. He's a terrible director. He's inept in every way. There is no suspense in this movie. The blasting close-ups, the... the, the the weird editing choices, and yes, the, the, the strange times to flash back, uh, and to completely miss the point or to make it heavy-handed in some way about what it's like to be a gay couple is completely missed on, on, on M. Night uh, uh, in this movie. And whatever point he was trying to make, he confuses it and, makes it and belittles it and also makes it obvious and one-dimensional. Um, and that's insulting, quite frankly, to the, t- to the subject matter and to the characters themselves. Um, I didn't think the acting was good. I don't know uh, how hard... I can't measure the uh, how hard Rupert Grint was trying so hard to not be Ron Weasley in this goddamn movie, uh, you know, to the point where it's like, okay, dude, I understand. You don't want to be associated with Harry Potter anymore. I get it. Um, and there's no suspense. The whole use of let's turn on the TV <laughs> and conveniently see what horrible thing... Oh, let's turn on the TV. Planes are falling from the sky. And then let's have you know let's have the uh, the the actor repeat what the what the punishment is. Oh, there's going to be stained glass falling from the sky and all this other shit. Um, and so the 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 repeated use of television in this way, despite the fact that they set up the fact that in, at the beginning of the movie they go through very important lengths to set up the fact that they have no they have no Wi-Fi and they have no signal and they have nothing. And yet every time they need the fucking TV, it's on so that they can <laughs> so that they can watch you know planes fall from the sky. Um, it's not suspenseful. And like all of his movies, it is one dimensional and stupid. And he really has no clue how to make suspenseful movies. And I am, what is it? Why do people, I don't get it. I don't, I just don't get it. And I, and I never fell for it, man. I remember watching the sixth sense and I did not know that Bruce Willis was dead. I know you did, Eric. I know you did. I did. Okay, and, but here was my response. Like, at the end of The Sixth Sense, you know, at the end when it's revealed that Bruce Willis is actually dead, I went, oh, wow, he's dead. This movie still fucking sucks. You know what I mean? Like, it was not, 
Like, oh, that was a surprise. I still don't care, you know? And no. then it got, it got to the point where it's like, oh, well, now I have to do the twist ending. By the time The Village came out and it was like, oh, no, they're near a highway, I was like, get the fuck. You know, I'm like, anybody who, <laughs> who would fall for that? <laughs> it's like, get out of here. Um, so he's, he's one of the worst filmmakers on the planet, uh, M. Night Shyamalan. He's a terrible writer and he's a terrible filmmaker. His movies are not suspenseful. They're not scary. Uh, whatever surprise thing that he tries to throw in has gotten so base and stupid. Um, and he reduces what could be, and I'm glad that you read the, uh, Eric, I'm glad that you brought up the book because I was really interested. Yeah. Because this is the first time he's adapted a book, right? Right. Because m- right, most of his exactly. stuff is original. Most of his stuff is original screenplays at this point, right? So, uh, you know, like adapting a book, I would say, okay, well, let's see. But he fucked that up. He changed that as well. So, but no, it's not scary. It's not interesting. Um, uh, you know, you know, and, and I've read reviews online or headlines, at least it's a return to form for, for, uh, M night Shyamalan. What? No, it's not a return to form. He's always sucked. So it's not a return to form. So, so but it is you, a return to form. Yeah. I know because he's always, so, yeah, I guess it's a repeat of return <laughs> to his to form. form. Yeah. yeah. To his form. So, but no, uh, knock, knock at the cabin is a terrible movie. It is yet another awful. And I'm with you, Eric. Um, uh, M Night Shyamalan is is uh, is is uh, is the worst, and and the movie is terrible. So, so you're mixed. That. So yeah, I'm mixed. I'm mixed. Uh, Nick, so. here is all we needed to say about this movie. Just go watch Frailty. Well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, there are so many movies that cover. Yeah, no, that's it. That's all we have to say. You're done. That's it. Yep. That's it. Uh, so anyway, all right, we're 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 running out of time, and I think Eric, you need to uh, to to take care of a uh, of a child that might you, be losing. You his can mind. hear that, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> can, can, oh, yeah. Can you hear that? Yeah. yeah. M Night Shyamalan can hear it, and he's writing his next yeah. movie about it right now. Um, but but next time we talk, I guess what is it? Uh, what what do we got the next time we talk? Ant Man. Ant Man. Ant Man. Ant Man. Quantum Mania. Well, Magic Mike comes out next week, right? Magic Mike? Right. Correct. Okay. All right. That comes out next week. So we'll have Ant-Man to look forward to and whatever else That's pops right. out. Uh, yeah. And uh, and there you go. All right. Uh, Eric, uh, Steve, thanks. And uh, and I believe that, uh, Eric, our message is to everyone that uh, M. Night Shyamalan sucks. I believe that's the message. He does. Okay. Very bad. Cool. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thanks. Uh, Bye. There you go. There's Eric and Steve and, uh, and, uh, and a cameo from Eric's nephew. <laughs> Uh, the kid was going nuts. It was great too because it made sense. It was like a kid wailing in the background while uh, while reviewing a really terrible, typically terrible M Night Shyamalan movie. That makes sense for some reason. Okay, all right. Well, there's Eric and Steve. They'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about Ant Man and more. But right now, let's talk with Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda, yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah, there it is, Esmeralda Leon. That's her theme song. That means we say hello to Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm okay. Um, Are you uh, doing anything, looking forward to anything this weekend? Not really, although the weather is supposed to be what I consider now summer. (laughs) Yeah, it's supposed to be really cold. that'll be nice. 
No, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. Because today is Friday. It's not Thursday. It's fr- <laughs> it's Friday. It's not supposed to be really. It's not supposed to be really cold tomorrow morning. It's supposed to be okay no. tomorrow. It's supposed to be like 38, I think. That's right. Not 13. Which summertime. So it was. It was. It was. It was a pleasant uh, walk from the Blue Line to WLS Studios this morning. Yes, yeah. that's right. It was. I, I it wasn't it. it wasn't freezing at all from my 10 minute 15 minute walk from the blue line to WLS Studios uh for the Steve Cochran show. No. Anyway. Uh yeah, I'm looking forward to this weekend because one of my favorite filmmakers of all time uh the Gene Siskel Film Center down on State Street. Mm-hmm. Uh they are doing a six night one movie a night retrospective of Dario Argento. Who is I saw that the Italian maestro who made Suspiria, which is the scariest mm-hmm. movie ever made, and he made. They're doing his movies from the seventies, which is my favorite time period of Dario. Um, That's awesome! I, yeah. I did see. I did see like an ad for it. I forget oh, when. God, it's gonna. But be they so did good. a little montage thingy ad for it. Yeah, so that's my that's it starts on uh, it starts tonight Friday night with bird with bird with the crystal plumage, and then they're mm-hmm. showing cat of nine tails four flies on gray velvet. Um, they're showing the five days, and then the final two Wednesday night they're showing deep red, and then Thursday night they're showing Suspiria, and it's just one of my favorite filmmakers at my favorite period in his career. So I'm just going to be beside myself at the Siskel. I'll be if you need me, that's, I'll be. At, I mean, that's I'll, really great. I'll be at the Siskel Center. <laughs> <laughs> all week so um you're anyway. just gonna camp out i'm gonna camp out when i'm not at the music box because the music box is showing escape from new york tonight at midnight and oh, tomorrow at boy. midnight escape from new york which is one of my favorite movies of all time and i'm gonna yeah. see how much of a dork i am i'm going tonight after i see bird with crystal plumage and i'll be wearing mm-hmm. two escape from new york shirts that's how much <laughs> Wait, of a goddamn dork how are I am. you what do you mean you're wearing two one's a t-shirt one's a button down that i'm wearing over it oh i see yeah i'm not fucking around <laughs> i'm uh, <laughs> Wow. All right. <laughs> and I'm going to that. And then Saturday, I'm going to uh, Argento. And then I'm going again to see um, Escape at midnight on, on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday at 1130 matinee is my favorite Billy Wilder movie of all time, Ace in the Hole at the Music Box. Nice. With, uh, with Kirk Douglas, which is just the darkest, most... You would not know, Esmeralda, that this movie is from 1956. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, the you know, it's so dark. It's so dark and so cold-hearted that, like, you you would be like, how did this movie get made in 1956? Well, I feel like a lot of um, movies from the 50s, 40s even, sometimes the the, the content is, like, really messed up. It is. It is. Like, stuff that I'm just like, I don't think anyone would make that now like that, but okay. You're absolutely right. You're right. But I mean, it gets like, but to be sometimes like, like some really messed up, like yeah. scary thing happened I mean, to somebody or traumatized. I was just like, oh my god. Well, I mean, they're celebrating Billy Wilder. Um, you know, uh, they have been celebrating Billy Wilder. And by the way, that noise you hear, that clanging and stuff, that's my 1910 mm. radiator. Ah, that you can hear uh, clanging in the <laughs> in the background. Um, but anyway, um. But yeah, Billy Wilder made a lot of dark movies. Like I, you know, like last week was Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard's a very dark movie. A really yeah. dark movie. I mean, it's narrated by a dead guy. Like, it's the, 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 the voiceover I mean, narration. that's not that a, crazy. I've, no. There's been many a movie that's yeah. been narrated by dead guys. And it's got a horribly, horribly sad, tragic ending. And, uh, but this Ace in the Hole makes no bones about it. 
Because Kirk mm-hmm. Douglas's character, the main guy, he plays a big time reporter who gets fired for sleeping with his boss's wife and gets demoted to a, a small town newspaper in the middle of the desert, way away from mm-hmm. New York. And uh, a, a cave collapses onto this guy and he's stuck inside the cave. Yeah. And Kirk Douglas sees this as a, a news story that he can milk. So instead of like rescuing the guy, he milks the story for all it's worth to make it as long as possible. Meanwhile, the guy's dying inside the Damn. cave. And he starts fucking the guy's wife. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> wow, insult to injury. And then like, I don't want to I'm going to just leave you down there for I don't, my I don't, I don't, I don't, but that, but that's that's happy times compared to the final moment in the movie. I won't even get into it. Yeah, I mean, and like, that's what I mean. Like <laughs> that's a messed up. Yes, there's is. so many movies that I've I've watched before. Or I've read the things, and I'm just like, what in the yeah. hell? If you've not, if you've not, I'm assuming you've not seen Ace in the Hole. No, it's also called the Big Carnival because when it first came out, Esmeralda, it was a Kirk Douglas movie, and everybody's like, "Yay, Kirk Douglas!" And you know, and everybody knew who Billy Wilder was, you know, uh, and everybody's like, "Oh, this is gonna be great!" And then this, you know, he plays the biggest prick in the history of movies. He's your leading man, and he does horrible, horrible things throughout the entire movie. And then, uh, uh, I don't want to give it away, but uh, right, so- something happens to him at the end, and it's like, what? Like when it was all over. <laughs> And when the movie came out, it bombed. It initially completely bombed. Well, probably be because people don't want to see that. Exactly. And so they the studio... Sympa- you know, they want to sympathize or whatever right. with... But Kirk Douglas was like... It was his favorite movie that he ever did. He co-produced mm-hmm. it. Billy Wilder, his stuff is known to be really dark. And so what the studio did was they changed... They tried re-releasing it because it bombed so hard. Yeah. So they tried re-releasing it. And you know what they re-released it? The title they re-released it under Esmeralda? <laughs> What's that? The, the big carnival. <laughs> okay. That's why they re-released it. Because Be- life. No, life is because a because carnival? while this guy is trapped in the mine in the cave, Kirk Douglas becomes like he's like the hero, like in touch with him, uh, mm-hmm. and and so people from around the world start to travel to this to this place to you know like baby Jessica to 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 help this guy out. Right. So they so the a carnival shows up and charges people admission right outside the cave. <laughs> oh my god. No, no, you gotta see this movie, Osbro. You gotta see this movie. I'm tapped, but wait, like listen to this. This is so messed up. It is. It really it really is. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Like this is not what you assume movies from the fifties. That's what I'm saying. And so 40s, they thought, like all that. You think it's just like happy go lucky. And they and they no. thought and the studio Jeez. was like okay and they, here's the thing they didn't recut it they didn't change a frame of it they just changed the title to the big carnival and then people went to see it and went well that didn't help the title didn't, <laughs> it's still the same movie well yeah because it's still the same movie so right. <laughs> well if you're not they just busy tricked you if you're not busy uh, tomorrow at eleven thirty Saturday at eleven thirty and Sunday at eleven thirty they're showing Ace in the Hole. At the music box. And it's really, truly one of my favorite, one of, I think, it's the greatest. AM or PM? AM. Yeah. 1130 okay. matinees. Those are the, the, the. A nice the, little matinee of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've been doing the Billy Wilder this... matinees and they've been selling out. I mean, they had six, they had over 600 people for Sunset Boulevard last Sunday. I mean, it's unbelievable. God, I'm uh, just still like that content. I'm telling I know. you. Listen, there when we're done. messed up sh- movies. I know you can't, I know you're, you're not going to be able to make it this weekend, but if you get a chance to try and watch it, or at least like you should, like when, when we're done, just do a little mm-hmm. Google search for, for Ace in the Hole, Billy Wilder, and then read about the, yeah. about the history of it and like the response when it came out. Cause it, people were like, what the fuck? Like they couldn't, they couldn't. I mean, yeah, they don't, I don't, uh, 
anyway, I will think be, of other movies that are like that. That are dark. Yeah, I mean, well, a lot of them were made by Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder was. A, he made a lot of dark, dark movies. Uh, so yeah, but yeah, I remember the first time I saw it. Uh, I saw it as the big carnival. It was on. It was mm-hmm. being shown on cable as the big carnival, and uh, I was I was probably eighteen. 19 when I saw it. I was still pretty mm-hmm. young and, and like just starting to study film pretty intensely. Mm-hmm. And when I saw it, it was called The Big Carnival. And I watched it and I'm like, holy shit. Like I couldn't, I couldn't believe what was happening during the movie and then how it ended. Like the ending is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, wow, this, this is pretty amazing. And then I read the whole thing about how, you know, it's originally called Ace in the Hole, which is a much meaner title. You know what I mean? That makes it's about, sense. It's, it's about a guy that stuck. That also makes sense. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so yeah, the other see, one, the other yeah. one remi- makes it sound too happy. It but does. I, I mean, I understand because then, yeah, the carnival does. But at first, just yeah. hearing that, right? You think, oh, this is going to be fun, and then like, what I am like, I watching? Oh, a carnival. What, what the hell am happen? I? What am I watching here? So Oof. anyway. All right, uh, so so that's what I'm doing this weekend. I'm seeing, you know, Escape from New York, uh, uh, Ace in the Hole, and then some some Dario Argento Italian slasher movies. So that's, that's wow. <laughs> so anyway, it'll be a happy weekend for me at least. So anyway, sure. Um, hey, got a, about a megaphone uh, a message, Esmeralda. Yeah, very nice. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we do this every, every episode where if you want to have me, I'm just a monkey who will read your messages or say your jokes or whatever you want into the magic megaphone. It becomes magical uh, through the megaphone. And if you want to, to, you know, leave a megaphone message for somebody and have me say it, uh, email me with, your, with what you want me to say, nickdpodcast at gmail.com, nickdpodcast at gmail.com, or voicemail 773-417-6948. Okay, uh, this one is pretty self-explanatory, um, Esmeralda. You'll, you'll get this mm-hmm. one. You will definitely get this one. Um, and this is from Janet. Janet sent the email, and I will play it, and then we will uh, explain it. But I don't think it's going to need much of an explanation. You ready? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. So, so you, you, you know what that is, right, Esmeralda? Yeah. Okay. Basically, Janet's favorite movie of all time is Airplane, and that's her favorite mm-hmm. exchange. <laughs> so that's all. It was that simple. It was like... Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. So, um, and I was like, I don't want to say that. You know what I mean? I would rather just have the actual clip from the movie because I can't do justice to the way Robert Hayes and Leslie Nielsen deliver those lines. I mean, that's, that's an iconic exchange in comedy history, you know? And yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to screw it up. So anyway, Janet from Palos Hills says that her favorite movie of all time is airplane. And she would love to hear, uh, Shirley, you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley through the magic megaphone. So it's that simple. Your favorite movie lines. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I love that movie. I, I, uh, I mean, you know, Airplane's one of the funniest, uh, one of the funniest movies of all time. Although I do maintain Top Secret's funnier. I might be alone on that. Well, isn't I... Airplane considered the fun? Like they did some thing. Yes. Some research thing. And it's like so many laughs per minute or something it, like that. It is or considered. Per minute. I, I, I guess, they're, you know, uh, you're right. And I can't remember the exact study, but you're absolutely right. I believe there was indeed like a scientific study. So... Technically, <laughs> what is the funniest movie of all time with the most laughs per minute? So technically, it, you're wrong, Nick. I guess I'm wrong, technically. <laughs> but 
of the movies that those guys made, that the Zucker brothers and the and those guys made, I still think Top Secret's the funniest. Um, and I will take the uh, Police Squad TV series over all of them. Oh, wow. The Police Squad TV series, the sex episodes of the Police Squad TV series, I think are funnier than any of the Naked Gun movies. And the Naked Gun movies are very funny, obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I also think that the six TV episodes of the Police Squad TV series are funnier than Airplane and uh, Top Secret. Interesting. But have you seen Top uh, Secret? By the way, it's generating three laughs a minute. Is that what Airplane does? Three laughs a minute? That's what Airplane does. That's amazing. You know why? Because the movie's 89 minutes. So multiply 89 times three, whatever that is, that's how many laughs are in Airplane. Yeah. That's unbelievable, right? It's, yeah. (laughs) It's a lot. I don't know what 89 times three is. I don't know either. I'm not good with math, but all I know is that's a lot. We did not get into this for math. That's that's why we're in this. That's right, because I was told there'd be no math. That's uh, actually a line from Saturday Night Live. Uh, I was told there'd be no math. Um, By the way, I don't understand. See, I feel like this is um, subjective. Okay. Because The Hangover is number two. Oh, my God. It has, it, so the, they have a list of the top ten films with the highest last minute score. Airplane is one. And then the second is Hangover. you got to be kidding me, right? 2.4 laughs a minute. So that's where I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, because I don't think The Hangover is funny. So I don't see, and that's where I'm like, oh, so this is subjectively like you're laughing, yeah, at something, yeah. And I, and I, although number I, three is Naked Gun, which is funny. So I, how the hell does the Hangover? How does the Hangover get between Airplane and the Naked Gun? How does that? In what right? world? In I what world are we living in where the Hangover is considered as fun is funnier than Naked Gun? What world? It's a world I don't want to live in. <laughs> Also, it was just a panel. Yeah, well, fuck them. Hangover. Yeah, Get it was a panel uh, conducted by a a movie uh, a movie service subscription yeah. called Love Film. So it's not very scientific. I thought well, it was then, like scientific. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I bought I bought it until you mentioned the Hangover, and then I was like, well, now I got to right. be a little leery of these results. The the article <laughs> I'm looking at it does says according to new research, like. Yeah, like it's something like, I yeah. guess that's research. I guess. <laughs> a panel it's from, when, lo- what, what's it yeah. called? Love movie? Love movies? Love love film. Love film. Get out of here. Hangover. So this is, yeah, that's where I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. They Hangover's not funny. Wrong. It's, and I know that comedy is subjective. What do you think is, Esmeralda, what movies make you laugh? What are some of the funniest movies you've ever seen? Like that movies that you just kill you. Um, I you, can't think of any. Right you like now. airplane? You like airplane, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, airplane's good. Okay. God, uh, now have, I'm trying. Jesus. Have you seen Top Secret? I've seen Top Secret. Yeah, and that, that's one of the funny. I mean, to me, that's the, my favorite Zucker Brothers movie. That fucking movie kills me. Um, for, young for, Frankenstein. Oh please, yeah, please, uh, please. Blazing Saddles. Uh, here, here's yeah, something. Yeah, here's yeah, something, yeah, Esmeralda. Yeah. Here's something. Uh, this is why if, if, if Mel Brooks never made another movie ever, he would still be legendary because in one year, in 1974, six months released apart from each other, he, he made Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles in the same year. That's, <laughs> I don't know how people do that. Like just in general too, just no. logistics. Like, yeah. But to make two of the funniest movies of all time. Yeah. 
I mean, my to God. to write these two scripts. I'm curious how long the scripts took to write. Yeah, well, I mean, he wrote them with like he wrote. Well, Gene Wilder came up with the idea for Young Frankenstein, so he and Gene Wilder wrote yeah. that script together. But then but, also, like, like a lot of probably what we saw was not in the script. Yeah. And, so there's all of that, yeah. And I mean, like Blazing Saddles was co-written by like Richard Pryor. That's the first thing Richard Pryor ever wrote was was Blazing Saddles. And the weird thing is, like everybody was like, "Here's the here's the weird thing about it." And you you know, mm-hmm. Blazing Saddles has a lot of at this point, like uh, I don't know how it still gets shown on television, but a lot of racial stuff is in Blazing Saddles. And right, I, but it's it's you know it's a different. It's not. It's not. Um, slanderous no no it makes fun of racism yeah 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 yeah, 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 exactly so that's why they allow it yeah of course of course but i mean but the fact is that the n-word is probably said 200 times (laughs) right (laughs) in blazing saddles uh (laughs) well i think they have to i don't think they i think they have to cut that out oh they can't like if you show blazing saddles it's not they don't cut it well i I don't they well, I, it, I haven't seen. I've never seen it, it on TV. No, I just saw. I saw it on cable like three months ago, and the N word. Oh, is but in cable's there. different. Okay. Well, no, no, no. Cable, Regular TV, they're clearly not going to show it. But right. But and no, even cable, you can swear. Yeah, cable, but you, and you can, can even you can, you can you can even do the N word. Um, well, clearly. Uh, yeah, and they say, and it's, and but the thing about it is that the point of that movie is just how stupid those people are and how stupid that word yeah. is. That's the joke. And but what's really amazing, Esmeralda, as you know, how much racial stuff is in that movie, and how much, you know, how much comedy is is built upon the fact that Cleavon Little's character is black. Like, there's a huge, and Richard Pryor wrote none of that. Yeah. Richard Richard Pryor, they were like, like Mel Brooks was like, "What do you want to write?" And Richard Pryor said, "I want to, <laughs> I want to write all the Mongo stuff. So all the stuff with Mongo, with the big Mongo punching out the horse, that guy, mm-hmm. that's all Pryor. Pryor wrote all that stuff." So people people assume that Pryor wrote a bunch of the racial stuff and the black jokes, and he didn't. He wrote all the Mongo stuff, like <laughs> Mongo Pawn in Game of Mongo Just Pawn in Game of Life. Richard Pryor wrote that line. <laughs> also, I feel like it's um, I don't know. I mean, I worked at the Loop for a while, so uh, I know. The, I mean, I know the song. So in Pink Floyd's Money, yeah, they say bullshit. Yes, they do, and they don't bleep it out. Well, that's another thing is, you know what else, Esmeralda? I remember. So like, I but feel so, like it's but, almost like this, like you're grandfathered in. It's fine. Yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> and there's also, but there were some radio stations, Esmeralda, at the same time, like when that record came out in the 70s, when, when that album came out in the 70s, um, you would have, they would, they would, don't give me that too. Good, good bullshit. And then, but sometimes they would do, don't give me that too. Good, good bull. And then you would hear another cash register over shit. It would go, ching. So, no, that's what you always assume. So when you do hear, so at the loop, they wouldn't bleep it. it I know. It didn't get changed, it didn't get whatever. Yeah. So I just always assume, I'm like, is it because it's old enough that it's well, almost like grandfathered in? There's, there's, okay. also, there's also like in uh, Who Are You by The Who. Mm-hmm. At one point, Roger Dolph says, ah, who the fuck are you? And that one, I think they might bleep. They, they don't. The they didn't. They, did, they, 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 they never played yeah, The Who. I don't. Yeah. But ah, who the fuck are you? That's, that was left like alone. Um, and now the, um, my favorite Christmas song of all time, fairy tale of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, they use the F, the F word slang for homosexual is in that, is in that song. And, okay. and that is, that is now like, like they either beep it out or they blank it out. But back, you know, when that song first came out, it was played and, yeah. you know, 
but yeah, and and, and uh, you know, uh, but yeah, so it's it's weird how back in the day you could get away with a little bit more than you could now. Um, so, but yeah. Well, no, yeah. at the I mean, the the loop isn't. Well, it was back yeah. in the day, but when I was there, this was present time, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they still didn't bleep it out. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know what the rules are, what the FCC rules are. So, well, are. that's what I'm thinking, at least with Blazing sh- Saddles. Yeah. Like, with the N-word, maybe that's, it's a little something like that. And the other thing is that if you were going to, like, make that silent, you know, a lot of people, instead of hitting a beep, they just make it silent, like you can't hear the word. No, yeah. Yeah, you okay, just, they if, just kind of... Right. Uh, 40% of the dialogue would be silent if you watched Blazing Saddles. <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I mean? <laughs> so. I remember I was watching The Town, you know, the, the well, you hate the uh-huh. A-Fleck, but the A-Fleck movie, uh, The Town, and yes. there's F-bombs every other sentence in, in, in The Town, in a lot of the movies that A-Fleck made, the Boston movies that he made. I mean, right. the, the, the language is unbelievable. Well, they were showing it on um, FX in the afternoon, and literally they were, they were doing the silent bit, where like if you said the F-word, it would just be silent. And there were, and I'm not kidding. There were sections of the movie I was watching it on a Saturday afternoon. There were sections of the movie where it was silent every 12 seconds. Like there was a long stretch of silence. <laughs> Why are you even showing this? Why oh, are you even boy. showing this? So I don't know. I don't know. Uh oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Hi. Nick's show. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, Hi, and I love hey, Nick's show. Esmeralda, uh, just earlier this morning, I got the invite to mm-hmm. Cocaine Bear. Oh yeah, man. Well, at least um, <laughs> whatever they've heard about the show, yeah, or they haven't, because you got that invite. I did. So to me, that's like a okay. <laughs> so and I, I was can worried. Talk to her then <laughs> I was worried because you know it comes out on the twenty fourth of, of February, mm-hmm. and. And I always try to calculate when the screenings are going to be. And I was like, oh, shit, I think Cocaine Bear is going to be the night of my Zany show, our next Zany show. Yeah. Because it's Tuesday, February 21st, but it's not. It's the next night. So I was like, right. yeah. So I can, do the, <laughs> I can do the Zany show. By the way, get your tickets now, rosemont.zanies.com, um, on the 21st and, and still not miss Cocaine Bear the next night. Very nice. So I was like, yeah, man. Yeah. 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 All right. Anyway. <laughs> um so uh characters that uh that change is what we were talking about sitcom characters that change and the last mm-hmm. conversation that we had we just basically realized that characters just get dumber right for, for the most part yeah yeah and by the way they were making is, them dumber is the is the can you is the radiator distracting as can you hear it no okay i cool. can hear it but it's not okay. distracting it's me. distracting to me because it's <laughs> it's also it's also now currently 300 degrees in my apartment <laughs> so anyway because it's spitting man it is i'm i am i am about four feet away from the radiator <laughs> so anyway if i get if i melt at some point please take over okay got okay. it all right um well or somebody here's a, here's another one that i wanted to mention this is the very first one that's in the article and we're talking about how tv characters that you maybe really got to know completely changed um, hear about Red F- Red Foreman from uh, that '70s show, played by Kurtwood Smith. Now, did you ever watch that '70s show? Yeah, yeah, I did too. Uh, I'm not watching that '90s show. I'm I'm not sure why. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't watch. I watched a couple of episodes of that '80s show and didn't like it. But I thought that '70s show was kind of fun. Um, and I love Kurtwood Smith. Kurtwood Smith rules. Um, 
but he plays Red Foreman on that show. Mm-hmm. And he's the, he basically just says dumbass all the time. Right. And here's what it says here. And this is true. In the early episodes of that 70s show, Red was firm, but he had a more heart-to-heart, he had many heart-to-heart real moments. Fans' reaction to him calling everyone a dumbass or threatening to put his foot in everyone's ass had the characters mold, mold into a one-note hard ass. I mean, that's all I remember about him. Yeah. He is the dumbass. Right. And yeah. foot in ass. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's what everybody remembers. But, that, but at, in the first season, I guess, and I don't, the only thing I remember is that Kurtwood Smith is hilarious. And him, and Kurtwood Smith threatening to stick his foot up somebody's ass to me is comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will laugh at that. But evidently he was a little more well-rounded and more dimensional. Of course. And usually it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah, they start very one-dimensional and then get right. a little bit better. Remember when um, we were? I'm we curious. Were t- I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm what? curious if he if he's the same on the '90s show. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't watched it yet. Maybe someone can leave a message uh, or send us an email letting us know. I haven't watched it. Is he putting so foots and asses? And I would imagine so. Everyone a why, dumbass. Why ruin what's you know the good stuff? You know, you got a, a successful formula. Just stick to it. Right. You know. <laughs> He also has one of the greatest lines in motion picture history in RoboCop because he plays mm. like the like one of the main villains in RoboCop. Yeah, yeah. And he comes in uh, where he, he comes busting in to to uh, uh, Miguel Ferrar, who uh, is one of the one of the uh, the asshole executives who helps build RoboCop, one of the rich dicks. Uh-huh. And and you've seen RoboCop, correct? Yeah. Okay. Well, he's in the he's in the like he's in his his apartment uh, doing a bunch of coke with three hookers and you know. Like he's fucking around with the three hookers and doing coke, and then Kurtwood Smith is the hard guy who knocks on the door, mm-hmm. and he comes in and puts a gun in, Kurt, in, in Miguel Ferrar's face and pushes him aside, and he's you know the hookers are there and they're a little startled by what's happening, and Kurtwood Smith just goes his his line is he walks in with the gun he pushes him away and he goes bitches leave and then the girls leave, <laughs> <laughs> which is my favorite line. My fa- I met Kurtwood Smith a couple of times because uh, Tony Fitzpatrick, my buddy Tony Fitzpatrick is in a show called Patriot with Kurtwood Smith. Um, and so through, I was lucky enough to meet Kurtwood Smith a couple of times uh, through Tony. And the first thing I said to Kurtwood Smith, I, I, I shook his hand and I said, bitches leave. And he started laughing. He goes, I don't know how many times I've heard that line before. Cause people just go, bitches leave. That's cause it's the best line in RoboCop. Bitches leave. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so. <laughs> but yeah. So he should have said that. And I was hoping he would say it when I watched that, uh, that 70s show. I'm like, is he going to say bitches leave at any time? Because that would be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, because, well, I guess he would have had to have done it in the, well, because he wasn't even in that show. The 80s show, right? Yeah, he wasn't in the 80s show. Yeah, because that would have been a reference to RoboCop. But he still could have, but but I mean, you know, but no, he couldn't have done that because, isn't it a little bit worse to call teenage girls b- bitches than to call teenage I mean, boys dumbasses? Yeah. You know what I mean? You like, can't that's really his... just be yelling "bitches leave," right? But you can't do that because he's the, <laughs> he's the he's a he's a psycho villain in RoboCop, so it works. You know what I mean? Like "bitches mm-hmm. leave." He's the psych- but like to be the father of you know and telling your teenage boy your your teenage son's friends "bitches leave" that would be a little that would be a little, <laughs> that'd be a little weird, I think. So, um, all right. Well, so red just turned into foot up your ass guy. All right. Anything else? uh, Any, any other TV characters that, uh, that changed that you wanted to mention? Um, well, Jan from the office, Mm -hmm. uh, apparently she went from uptight to unhinged, which, yeah, I could see that. 
I, I don't see that because she was very corporate. I remember yeah. in the beginning, and then she just kind of started going down this like downward spiral. Of... For, yeah, I don't. I'm trying to remember her just never being unhinged. You know what I mean? Like it's such a strong. Well, you know I mean? in the I mean in the beginning, <laughs> yeah, and then like everybody else, because like even um, Creed, we mentioned Creed before we came. Right, Creed, and then Steve Carell's character right. was he went the other way, where I think he was one. He was a little too much like the British version. Right. Um, right. But then he was also just like creepy. He At got and, I and just, he got creepier and dumber. Um, I didn't, but I think he got a little more lovable as the show probably, went on. They, they, yeah, they, yeah. they wrote out the creepy because I don't think anyone really, well, the character that the, have any empathy for him. That's the thing about, that's the thing about the difference between the British version and the American version is that Gervais, as you know, uh, has made a career out of playing creeps <laughs> yeah. and, and assholes. And that's one of the reasons why I love Gervais so much. And the and the office, the British version of The Office, which, by the way, is only 13 episodes long. That's right. it. Right. Well, that's yeah, because they couldn't sustain that. Yeah. No one wants to watch that, like, yeah. further. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess in America, you can't have the main character in a show be such an unmitigated prick. Well, yeah, clearly because they changed it. Yeah, they did. Because no one was going to stick around to watch right, that. Right. Uh, I would have. <laughs> hey, by the way, you know, remember we were talking about how the Fonz kind of took over. He was just like the supporting character. Mm-hmm. And then he basically became the show. Uh, another thing I forgot, as well, to tell you was that he was not a we- he was not allowed to wear a leather jacket during the first few episodes. Why? Because it was too tough. Like they didn't want him to look tough. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And and, and I, if you go back oh. and look at the first few episodes, he's wearing a windbreaker. Fonzie's wearing oh, a fucking Lord. windbreaker. Yeah. I so, I don't I I <laughs> I can't. I don't. I mean, I guess I don't know what at the time was tough. Yeah. But looking at Fonzie from Happy Days, that is not tough. I know. I know. <laughs> but the leather jacket. 50s leather jacket indicates rebellious youth. That's what it indicates. It's a cliche, but that's what it indicates. And right. so in the early 70s, when the show first started to, to, to be known, they were like, now you can't put him in a leather jacket. We want people to like him. He can be the, he can be the kind of tough guy, but he's got to wear a windbreaker. So they made him, they made Fonzie wear a windbreaker. And now that jacket's that's in the so Smithsonian. Weird. And that jacket is in the Smithsonian. That leather jacket is in the Smithsonian. And before they wouldn't let him wear it. He had to wear he had to wear a windbreaker. I just don't it's just funny yeah. to think that yeah. Fon, the Fonz is tough. Yeah, yeah, he was the tough guy. He was the tough guy. I never yeah. and, and then eventually he was like, you know, the Fonz, he snapped his fingers, twenty seven women showed up. He could hit any he could hit any electronic device and it would suddenly work. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know what he I mean? seemed he seemed cool. <laughs> Yeah, no, he was cool. He wasn't tough. He was like he was the original. The original script for Happy Days was written. He was the tough guy. He was like the yeah. scary sort of, you know, tough guy. He was supposed to be so tough that they would not allow him to wear a leather jacket. And then when he right. wore the leather jacket, they were like, "Now he's cool," and everybody wanted to be like him. But at first, yeah, he, he, he was the ba- I he was got the, tough the guy. impression. Yeah, I got the impression that he was just like cool, slick guy. Absolutely not tough guy. Right. Right. Although he could beat everybody's ass. That was the other thing. Like everybody would be like, uh, let's go get Fonzie. He'll kick that guy's ass. Like if you ever had a problem with someone, if a bully came in, you bring in Fonzie and Fonzie would knock the See shit out. See that? I would never. That was, 
I that would not be my first thought from yeah. watching that show that he's the one you call when time, when you need someone beat up. Right. Right. He's the one that like can get you like out of some like crazy situation from right. just sweet talking. Right. And he can he can you know he can turn the jukebox on with his fist and he can fix your car. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's right. You know, I didn't think he could beat up any. No, he would. He was the dude. He would scare. Like people would be scared of Fonzie. No, no. They, wow. you, if you, if you, if there was ever a rum, if there was ever a fucking rumble, you wanted Fonzie because everybody was terrified sure. of the Fonz. Yeah. Yeah, but who else would even be there? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if that's the toughest Just guy, everyone else on that damn show. Well, that's the t- if that's the toughest guy, then man, Milwaukee is filled with wimps. You know what I mean? Like, right? That's, that's- exactly. Like, yikes. <laughs> Now, did you ever watch Boy Meets World? Because I'm looking at this little th- thing here about Boy um, Meets World. Yeah, on and off. Well, what? Tell me. Remind me, because I'm not a. I don't. Know I mean, the Boy it was Meets just World. about um, a a kid. He was in whatever grade, probably like junior high. Okay. And it just dealt with him and his friends, and then his family. So, like a teen, a teen, a growing, a coming of age comedy sitcom. Right. Okay. Did it take place? Uh, modern times like at the at the time yeah okay yeah yeah right, so it was present day when it was when it was so it was 80s then. yes okay no it was 90s 90s okay 90s all right well do you do, now do you know this article this little piece in the article here are you familiar with this character i you know what i honestly i don't he was a very to me throwaway character okay he was just the older brother eric who yeah he was i mean yeah he was a little older so he seemed he seemed like he was always trying to be like a wise ass like trying to get out of stuff or trying to be like right fonzie he was trying to be fonzie (laughs) yes but not beating anyone up right right. (laughs) (laughs) anyway he got dumb overnight that's another example in these articles that we've been talking about about how characters just keep getting dumber yeah, I so. mean, people like a, a dumb character. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you watch Fresh Prince of the Bel Airs? Uh, yeah. Okay, I did not because I hate I hate uh, Will Smith with a passion, and I've always have. But w- how did Carlton change? Because they say here that Carlton changed. Um, I just know Carlton. I know that that guy now is he hosts America's Funniest Home Videos and he dances. I just know Carlton danced a lot, right? Didn't he do the Carlton dance? Right. He would dance a lot. I mean, from what I remember is he may have gotten I dumber, guess, sillier. Okay. Um, Here's what it says, though. Yeah, in the I think pilot, he just got more, like, sillier. In the pilot, Carlton was pretentious but muted, so muted that Alfonso Ribeiro uh, was almost recast. They luckily kept him. But his nerdy rich boy ways were played way up, right up. He relies heavily right. on Jeffrey the butler and becomes an antagonist to Will. So he was See, like... I remember it that they got more, they got closer. Like in the beginning it was like that, but then it yeah. got, they became much more family, whatever. Right. I guess not. I don't know. Now here's one. That, here's one, Esmeralda, that is kind of now. There's a sense of melancholy to it because it's where did Shirley Feeney's accent go? And uh, Shirley uh, died. Cindy Williams died a couple of days yeah, ago. Yeah. Um, and now both Laverne and Shirley are dead, and Squiggy is dead, and Carmine is dead. Carmine is dead in real life. Uh, Squiggy of Lenny and Squiggy is dead, and both Laverne and Shirley have passed away. It's really sad. I mean, that was a show I grew up watching. Yeah. And and I think what people forget. I don't know if if you remember this, Esmeralda, but when. Laverne and Shirley is a spinoff of Happy Days. They showed up uh-huh. 
as a, a, a couple of girls that Fonzie called up to be dates for Richie. Um, yeah, which I don't... I, I understand that they're, those are the characters, but then to the TV show, they don't seem like those two characters anymore. Oh, not at all. Because if you watch, <laughs> if, if you watch the episode... They just were like, yep, that's them. Well, if, forget if you, about that episode, though. Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> they changed it completely. Because if you watch the episode where Fonzie calls these girls, you know, uh, Laverne and Shirley, they're sluts. And they like yeah. the reason why Fonzie calls them, and they act, and Shirley acts like a total slut uh, in this episode. They both act like like like, uh, like sluts, and they're really aggressive, and they're like really sexual, and that is not at all what, what Laverne and Shirley turned out to be when they got their own show. Like those characters yeah. completely changed. Yeah, completely. La- um, Shirley just seems. Like very sweet, yeah. And yeah. she doesn't know. Not that she doesn't know about life, but she seemed uh, a bit of a prude. She was much more of a prude than Laverne. Laverne obviously yes. seemed. Uh, Laverne obviously seemed seemed like she was a little bit looser, uh, right? In personality, and I maybe even in the sack. I don't know. Uh, but Shirley was always more prissy, and Carmine was her boyfriend, yes. and she loved yeah, Carmine, yeah. and. And and yet, and according to this article, it says in the first two episodes of Laverne and Shirley, Shirley had a thick Brooklyn accent and an attitude, and wanting to appeal to the Midwest, <laughs> the show made her drop the accent and act more proper. So it would seem like she was from Milwaukee and not Brooklyn. But yeah, they both had accents and they were both very slutty, and that completely changed. Yeah, because where is Happy Days? Milwaukee. They so both then, take place in Milwaukee. They both take place. And in then Milwaukee. they came from where? They they came from Milwaukee. Unhappy days. Yeah, yeah. Like the Wait, Fonz calls them. Unhappy days. Up. They were from Milwaukee. They, Fonz calls them up and says, "Hey, I need a, a couple of dates for some friends of mine." And he calls them up, and they live in Milwaukee. So then, but where the, did the accent come from? I, to make her seem tough, because that was a thing to do. You know what <laughs> oh, I mean? I was see. just like, if you want to say you want somebody to you want somebody to be tough, even if they're from Milwaukee, give them a Brooklyn accent, give them a leather jacket. Yeah, that's you know you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you grow up? Milwaukee. Yeah, I grew up in Milwaukee. <laughs> you know? Like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, so, anyway. But, yeah, no, and then, uh, you know, it's, it's weird to talk about that because uh, now, like I said, Carmine, Squiggy, Laverne, and Shirley, Laverne's dad has passed away. Like, a lot of the, a lot of those, uh, a lot of those, well, Laverne's dad was old. So, but, like, right. you know, Carmine, Eddie Mecca's dead, and, and, and uh, David L. Lander, and, you know, Penny Marshall and and, uh, and Cindy Williams all passed away. All right. And that's how we're going to end the segment. Isn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) Happy memories, everybody. Great. Yeah. So, um, hey, we got Kit Kats to test. Yes. And they don't taste anything like this. (gasps) McRib is back. So they don't taste like that at all. No, who knows? Maybe they did. They might. Wouldn't wouldn't that be delicious if they. Oh. That would be would fantastic. Would that be delicious? Oh. I don't know. A McRib, a McRib flavored Kit Kat? No. Okay. What? <laughs> What's wrong with you? All right. Well, what do you want to taste test first? We've got the... Um... Well, we have two different ones. Okay. Well, which, which one Should do you want? Should we wanna... do the different? Let's do the different one. Okay. I've got the a latte one. Yes. You have the a matcha latte. I got a matcha latte. I think latte. mine's just a green tea. It's just green. Mine's green too. 
Mine's mine's under the adult sweetness series. Okay. All right. Well, mine is green. Is your as you open it, is it green? It it is. Okay. So yeah, mine's probably just green tea. Okay. Well, let me try this. This is a matcha latte, and it's green. It does not look appetizing, but um. Yeah, mine's green tea. Well. It it tastes it tastes like it it does taste chocolatey. It does not really taste like tea, so it's not green tea. It's matcha latte. Um, yeah, and it's also melting because, like I said, my radiator has been spinning for about an hour now, and it's three hundred seven right. degrees. So my Kit Kats are gonna. <laughs> we have to hurry up and do this before the Kit Kats turn into liquid. Um, so uh, yeah, the matcha latte is good. I enjoy the latte. Yeah, so is mine. Now, the banana caramel, I have to say, these are two of my favorite flavors in the history of any kind of flavoring. Okay. I love bananas and I love caramel. I'm curious what this banana will... Yeah. Oh. Now, you, you're... You, uh-oh, what's the matter? You're already it sick. It smells like... Blech. It smells right, like on. fake banana, which okay. is banana. <laughs> it just... It smells like banana candy. Banana flavor, yeah. Which right, is... Me... Gr- I've never... Yeah. All right. And that's just smell. All right, I have to get. I a, haven't even. I have to get a napkin right now because there's chocolate all over the goddamn place. Three hundred degrees in my apartment. All right, here we go. Banana caramel. Ooh, mmm. Mm. That's not bad. Oh, it's good. Mm-hmm. Is that dark chocolate? It, it, it's, it's kind of bitter. Is that it is just me? bitter. No, it's, no, no, no. It looks like milk chocolate though. It doesn't look like dark chocolate. Yeah, I don't like this. I do. I don't like the. It's bitter, so it's like semi-sweet chocolate. Yeah. It's bitter, then, fake I banana don't get caramel. Really. There's a little caramel in the back, on the back end. Mm. It's so. Yeah. No, I don't. Nah, nah. I'm not a big banana flavor. If there's candy with a banana flavor in it, no, thank you. All right, I'm the opposite. I love all things that flavor banana. I do. So I like the banana caramel. I'm going to vote yes. So we disagree on that. It might be our first Kit Kat that disagreement. Gross. <laughs> okay. I did not enjoy that. All right. All right. Bitches leave. Ew, do you like those? Do you, <laughs> do you like those candies? Which ones are the? It's not Mike and Ike's. What are the ones? They're like fruit flavor. They're like shaped in fruit, and they got bananas. Oh, oh, they're hard. The hard candy that you're talking about. Right. Yeah, have the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what they're called. You like yes, those? I do. I Blech. like. I like banana. <laughs> Because they taste like that fake banana candy. Ugh, yeah. So gross. Oh, okay. All right. We're not going to bond on that. Disgusting. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. So you, you would say you would say this. Get the fuck out of my house. Say, yeah. <laughs> like you were like, hey, Ez, I'm yeah. bringing you some runs, by the way. Runs. Okay. Um, br- hey, Esmeralda. So, so I'm going to have this conversation with you. Hey, Esmeralda. Uh, I'm bringing you some banana flavored runts. Get the fuck out of my house. Right? That would yeah. Be- <laughs> Especially if you went, I'm just bringing you bana- runt banana can, like just the, the only bananas. flavor. That's the only flavor is the banana. I'd be flavor. like, are you kidding You'd me? Be like, right yeah. Now? Get the fuck yeah. out of my house. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, well for one, <laughs> I don't like runts. Mm hmm. Like even the other ones, I can, they're fine, but yeah. I would not pick runts. But if you just brought banana, <laughs> you're an how asshole. How dare you? Yeah. How <laughs> dare you? 
<laughs> what in whose mind did you yeah. think this would be a good idea? And I, you would be like, God damn it, Nick. That would be exactly. It. All right. Well, uh, Esmeralda, thank you. Hey, the next episode, you got a, You got a day off uh, for the for uh, next episode because it's for the people. It's for the, the people. First Tuesday of the month. So Tom Appel will be with us to talk about all the car needs and uh, car questions. And Herb Weissbaum will be here with any consumer issues that you might have. If you have any questions for him, you can leave a voicemail, 773-417-6948. Any car or consumer questions, drop us an email, nicktpodcast at gmail.com. So the next episode will be for the people. But thanks to Jason Skaggs for all the, the great music and the sounds and all the cool stuff. Be a sponsor here. You got something you want to advertise? Check it out. Sales at radiomisfits.com. And my thanks to Ed and everybody at Radio Misfits. My thanks to Eric Childress and Steve Procopi for a very lively conversation where we all actively trashed M. Night Shyamalan's latest piece of crap. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I, I saw the trailers and I was like, <sighs> yeah, it looks good, but I know he's no. gonna, I'm going to get burned if I You're going to get this. burned. You're going to get burned. Is it yeah. like The Village? It's worse than The Village, if that's possible. Ah, yeah. Well, then now I know. No, Thank they're all you. bad. He's, I don't think he's ever made a good movie. I'm in the minority on this. I don't think he's ever made I like made a good that movie. one. Sixth Sense? No. No? Uh, the Signs? one where the What's-Her-Face gets kidnapped. Oh, Split. Okay. Yes. 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 You know what, Esmeralda? That's the only one that I like, and it's only because of McAvoy. Because James McAvoy is so fucking yeah, good. Yeah, he's great. He's great. That's the only one I've seen where I'm like, okay, I'm yep, Shyamalan. Me too. And here's why. Because he's great. But then Shyamalan screws it up. You know why? Because at the end, he makes it a sequel to Unbreakable. At the right, end. and then they make that other one. And then they make Glass, which is a piece of shit. So all the great uh, work all the great work that McAvoy did in that movie, and he's great in it. And so is Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, yeah. All that great work is for naught because it turns out to be just a sequel to Unbreakable, and then everything that McAvoy did in uh, in Split was ruined in Glass. That's how bad a filmmaker this guy is. He's the worst. He's the worst. So, <laughs> all right. Anyway, we got distracted there, but I do have to say goodbyes to everybody. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, next time for the people with Tom and Herb. Thank you, Esmeralda, and we'll see you next time. And uh, check out all of the other podcasts at RadioMisfits.com. Take the time to rate and review us anytime, and also check out my. Uh, my Saturday Night Live podcast. Please do that. Uh, uh, it's called uh, That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. So thanks to everybody, and we'll see you next time on the Nick D Podcast. Oh, 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 o